Hello, this is Hope, and you're listening to Covert Castaway. Welcome to my weekly diary of what I learn and how I cope with transitioning to life as a liveaboard cruiser. Putting my house on the market was one thing. Actually selling it happened while I was driving in my car alone to a Justin Timberlake concert. Welcome to Covert Castaway. Today I'll share what happened to get the house sold and what I did wrong with my kids during that time. 11 days. That's how long it took to sell the house. To me, it was just way too fast. For my realtor, she acted like the sky was falling and wanted me to slash the price after the first open house weekend which was just all the excuse I needed to pull it off the market and rethink my whole plan. I guess a couple came through and a woman made some comments like, this house is too big of a project and we would have to entirely gut it to live in it. I calmly told my realtor those people weren't the people I was looking for. While I was secretly fuming inside and thinking about how much I wanted to slash the woman's tires. The buyer I wanted was the couple with young kids who saw in the house what I saw. A home. A dream home, actually. Sure, it's got its quirks, but the location and lot are to die for. While the stagers made me paint the whole inside a super pukey beige color called burnt scone, which it just sounds bad to begin with. I just couldn't bring myself to paint over the growth chart. You know that spot in the wall where every once in a while you make the kids all line up and you make a little mark to see how high they grew? All our kids were fully grown, so now it was just for my niece and nephew, and sometimes to see if I had started shrinking yet. I stuck to my boundaries, mostly on the price, and had a small internal victory when we got an offer from a young couple of my dreams. I mean, they gave me an offer I couldn't even do a counter on, and they wrote a letter for my consideration so that I would pick them. Someone pinched me. This couple adored the house. They had two young boys and gave us an option to rent back for 45 days, which offset the panic I suddenly felt about cleaning out the attic. But I clicked the signature button next to accept on the DocuSign on my phone, and that happened while I was rushing out the door to meet my daughter at a Justin Timberlake concert. I love concerts. I had great tickets, and I was not going to be late for that. So as I'm driving, I suddenly burst into tears, and it felt like my heart had been just torn out of my chest. Long story short is that I'm not a crier. I'm tough, battle-tested. I take pride in having my life together at least 80% of the time. At work or in most things that are transactional or have something to do with a contract, I especially had it together. I've learned to shove all my emotions right down into my pumps in a male-dominated industry and crying just isn't a thing I do, not even in the bathroom, like ever. I just did not understand why I was just so sad. I showed up at the concert, parked my car, and slathered my face with makeup powder. I was meeting my daughter there. It was dark, so she didn't notice I'd been crying. But no way was I going to tell her why on this night. It would just have to wait until I was ready to handle how she might respond. We had an amazing night to remember, and it was an incredible time together. Life went on for another week except for the 45 people marching around my house trying to finish all the inspections in a five-day window. General inspection, roof, sewer, chimney, pool, termite drainage, you name it. They were concerned about flooding, which is weird, honestly, for California, because typically 
We're always in a drought every single summer for as long as I can remember. But because of the weird weather, of course, the month leading up to the on-market date, it rained enough to refill all the lakes and dams in the state, with more rain on record than ever in decades. There was no evidence, after all, of any standing water, but they were worried about possible flooding. Not a concern I would have. Earthquakes and fires, another story. But hey, it's not my money. They did the inspection, reckoning, and removed contingencies, and we were moving into escrow. Now I had to tell the kids that the house was sold for sure. We told our daughter, who was living with us first, for obvious reasons. She also has the soul of a surfer, who was just chill about it and said, cool, and went back to her Netflix. I decided to tell my son next. He has a more laid-back attitude and is focused on college, so I would tell him, and then I would tell my ex-husband, because I knew once I told my daughter, the phone calls and group texts would start either with me or without me. Here's what I have to share about my daughter. She was born with a wild passion that I knew would be hard work, but I also knew she would be a strong, independent woman someday, and she is. She's on her own now, living in the city. She has a great job, and she's killing it. She's working in circles of trendy startups and living it up on weekends in the marina in North Beach. We're very much alike in our drive, but she and I are very different in how we process change and many other things. The house was the only thing that tied us together in our past life with her father, and she's now moved on with her own life. Mind you, it may be different if she came home on weekends to say hello and do her laundry. I mean, it's exactly 28 miles door to door, and she's been home only maybe twice in the last year. And that was only when she had some other reason to be in town. But I digress. So I called her and I gave her the news. She was incredibly calm and understanding. She said she wasn't surprised it sold so quickly, and that was it. I hung up the phone and went into savage mode to find a new place to live. I just moved on to the next thing on my list. I was lucky enough to find a duplex for us to rent before I started really panicking. It was a good location that was suitable for our little dog. And for any dog owners, you know how hard it can be to find a decent rental that takes dogs. I marched my husband through, and he was fine with it. But he just saw it as temporary anyway. Healthy perspective since it was temporary. But I still needed to live somewhere I could envision myself wanting to be for the next year. We both agreed we needed to keep it relatively small. Enough of a change to force us to downsize, not just move our same stuff to a new place. This was a step in the process of getting rid of everything. So it began. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, an attic, a double garage, two sheds, grand entertainment kitchen, and a cabana. All needed to be downsized to fit in a two-bedroom, one for our daughter, one for us, and one shared office. One car garage and a tiny galley kitchen. So much stuff had to go. I'll just put it this way. You realize how old you are when you start cleaning out your attic. Papers, books, baby stuff, skis, sporting equipment I hadn't seen in decades. Old toys, electronics. I found an actual Atari. Why, I don't know, since computers had been invented by the time we moved in. We boxed up games, sold furniture on Facebook Marketplace and Nextdoor. By the way, we found Nextdoor to be better. We had a garage sale. We donated items to the Paradise Fire victims. I consigned large furniture and finally had to hire a junk company for $500 to haul away everything else that was left which is pretty much what we made on the garage sale. You have no idea how many cords and plugs and adapters I found. Good reuse business idea if anyone wants to give that some thought. Meanwhile, another part of the story I haven't mentioned yet is that eight months prior, I had signed up with 59 North to do one of their offshore passages. As it was turning out with timing, our move date was just one week after my passage was scheduled to be over, so it was mentally very inconvenient. 
We had to pack everything enough for me to be gone, come back, and immediately move, while my husband still had to live in the house for basically two weeks like that without me. The packing had to be done, but not done, which is honestly my version of hell. Things half put away, boxes everywhere, and everything else just strewn in random places so you can't find anything. Yeah, that would be hell if someone asked me to design it. Oh, in case it wasn't obvious, we were both working full-time. So needless to say, there were no date nights or couples time going on, if you know what I mean. Totally out the window, and any spark was immediately doused by the burning fire of my lower back from all the schlepping of crap everywhere we were doing. Somewhere in this time frame it happened. My daughter and I had a chance to catch up on the phone, and she was really angry. I think I made it worse by reminding her that anger was a stage of grief. I'm just such an idiot. We agreed to meet for lunch, but it was a disaster. I was too stressed and she was too emotional. She was seeing things through a very dark lens that made me defensive. Selling the house triggered in her a bunch of unresolved issues, just like any teenager would whose parents got divorced and remarried. All while I was 100% tactically focused on packing, so I had not been thinking or anticipating her feelings. The fun night at the Justin Timberlake concert was long gone. And it's times like these you second-guess your life choices. After our lunch, she wanted nothing to do with me, which I remember feeling that way towards my own mom at that age, trying to grow up and being scared at the same time. I think it's really true that a child doesn't fully appreciate their mother until they have kids of their own going through their own stuff. I got home that day, and I called my mom, and I told her I loved her. What I also realized was that she made some assumptions about my financial strategy that were very off the mark. Based on these assumptions, she formed an opinion that I was making reckless and irresponsible decisions. So let's hold that thought for a minute as I take you back a few weeks. During the time, we were starting to make a little improvements you make before selling the house, before we staged the house. I was doing a lot of financial planning calculations to determine how to make the plan line up. I'll actually do a whole series on this aspect in the future podcast because it's such a big topic. Anyway, in our household, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan. So the financial planning part of this adventure has tended to be my area of focus. I've got a complex relationship with money because growing up, we never had any. So for me, making sure I can take care of myself is a really big deal. It makes me feel secure and gives me a way to convince myself that I am, in fact, a responsible adult. When I show my husband too many spreadsheets, he starts going into the specifics of the formulas on the various sales and why I set up the columns a certain way and the conversation completely deteriorates. I wasn't born with a patience gene and he and I organize information differently. I decided instead to map out the big picture in a series of post-its, like a timeline with major financial milestones for what happens when, how much money you need to live on during what time periods, where it comes from, and how the various investments benefit us and when. It was my effort to create a narrative where I could get his input to the strategy without getting lost in the weeds. Walking him through this went pretty well, so I put the post-its up on my office wall for that week. During that same week, my son came home over the holiday break, and I walked him through it as well. While he didn't ask for the information, he said it really helped him understand I had thought through a financial strategy and that he shouldn't worry. I have to say, I was really surprised by his comments because I'm like, dude, I figured out how to get myself into college when statistically speaking, I should be in a gutter somewhere. I built a career and raised two kids at the same time, four actually later. I provided a nice neighborhood. I paid for college for you guys. 
How is it possible that you can think that this boat plan hadn't been well thought out? Okay, so cut back to the lunch with my daughter. Given the way she'd spoken to me, what I realized is they had come up with this belief in their head that this boat plan was some random impulse with no real plan. I do think it would have been different if they had been living with me, but they were out of the house now, living on their own day to day. Our youngest daughter was with us, so she was part of the conversation. So as I was kind of reflecting on my notes and preparing for the podcast, which is something that I obviously do, I have to remind myself that what makes the cruising plan so random to my family is how completely out of character it is for someone like me. I think that's what they're struggling with. Someone like me, who they see as a pillar of stability through what they perceive as being monumental phases of change in their lives, suddenly doing a 180 after they're gone, they perceive me tossing my life up like a game of 52 pickup. To them, the whole thing is random. What business has taught me is in order to take teams through large-scale business transformational change, you have to bring people along and make them part of that change. But I wasn't doing this in my own personal life, like at all. I was leaving them out so there was a lag. They were miles behind where we were. As I was so busy with prepping the house, packing, moving, and working, I had completely forgotten to bring them along. It was not intentional, and it's hard when they aren't around much, and when you talk to them on the phone, I don't know, maybe once a week if I'm lucky, I want to hear what they're doing and listen about what's going on in their lives. So bringing up cruising topics just seems so out of the blue and self-centered. But why was I leaving them out? I think the reason was because I wanted to shelter them from the worry. I mean, I'm learning as I go, too. The biggest part of building this boat plan is being thoughtful about risk management. So if my kids ask me questions like, what happens if someone gets seriously injured? Or what if you hit a container? Or how do you avoid unpredictable weather? These are all kinds of scary questions that I don't want my kids asking me until I have good answers. But keeping them out of the details was backfiring, and it was all bubbling up with the sale of the house. Because this had an emotional impact where everything surfaced. As with most aspects of parenting and making a life transition as an empty nester, I'm a rookie at all this. Honestly, I'm making stuff up as I go along. I'm trying my best to figure out the right balance of protecting my adult kids from worry, but also giving them enough information so they're mentally in the right place when we cast off. There's a huge gap when your waking thoughts are about sailing and boaty things and where your kids are who quite literally think it's a mission to Mars with no return trip. So here's the lesson I learned with the sale of the house. You don't set out to make a big change without anticipating what the road will look like getting there. Change has curves, and you have to be ready for them. Well, I was good at anticipating risk at work, risk in sailing, risk in selling the house. I didn't at all think about the risk of not properly bringing my kids along in the change curve. For better parents than me listening right now, did you have this experience too? And what did you do or what did you learn about bringing your kids and family along? Please visit the Covert Castaway Facebook page and join the conversation. Also, I'm really excited to tell you, this podcast is now available on iTunes and Google Play. So pick your platform and subscribe. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another Covert Castaway. Fair winds for now.